is Bean to Barstool, a podcast that looks at the intersections of craft beer and craft chocolate. My name is David Nelson. I'm a professional beer writer and an advanced Cicerone and the creator and host of this show. The music for this episode is by my dear friend, indie folk musician Anna P.S. You can find out more about Anna's music in the show notes or at her website, annapsmusic.com. You can find links and information about our guests in the show notes as well. I hope you enjoy this episode of Bean to Barstool. A few years back, our friend Bethany was staying with us over New Year's. I was just getting into craft chocolate, and I knew that any food I fell in love with was going to have to get along with the liquid love of my life, craft beer. So I lit candles at the kitchen table, put on some good music, pulled out some excellent bottles to go with a stack of chocolate I'd purchased for the occasion, and the three of us settled into a slow midwinter beer and chocolate pairing as the snow fell on our small town just outside our windows. I can't remember all the beers and chocolates we opened. I know there was a 2011 Bone Creek Mariage Parfait and a St. Bernardus Wit Beer. There was a Dolphine 38% milk chocolate and an Indulgence Mayan Spice Bar, but there was a lot more. We took notes, laughed, and savored our favorites. After a couple hours, lightly buzzed on alcohol and just as tipsy on flavor and friendship, we bundled up and set out into the snow. We walked around town, made snow angels under the streetlights, threw snowballs, and came home with rosy cheeks and warm hearts. It was an evening we still talk about, especially now when we have to miss our friends from afar in the midst of a pandemic. And those memories begin with pairing beer and chocolate. This is Bean to Barstool a podcast that uses craft beer and bean-to-bar chocolate as lenses through which to explore the world of flavor and the way flavor interacts with our memories, emotions, imaginations, even our identities to teach us more about who we are. In this episode, we'll talk about pairing beer and chocolate. We'll look at why these flavors work so well together, special considerations for making a pairing work, and some of my own favorite combinations. I won't be making broad recommendations for styles of beer and chocolate to try together in this episode, as much as discussing the process for pairing and the spirit behind it, and helping you see why this is such a fun trail to follow. My name is David Nilsson. I'm a professional beer writer and educator and a certified Cicerone. I hope you enjoy this episode of Bean to Barstool. As I explained in episode three on beer and chocolate collaborations, beer and chocolate are made for each other with a host of complementary flavors that naturally and gracefully dovetail with just a little bit of planning. 
I had the chance to write about pairing these two indulgences for Cacao Magazine last year, and when I get to some of the pairing examples later on, you might recognize a few turns of phrase from that story. I've been a full-time beer writer and educator for almost four years now, and I'm an enthusiastic advocate and evangelist for beer to be taken seriously. Beer has often been seen as a lower-class beverage, the thing you drink when you don't care what you drink, rather than as a beverage with thousands of years of history, centuries of tradition, and a staggering variety and complexity. Even within modern craft beer, there is often an ironic and self-aware resistance toward an immersive and holistic savoring of this drink. Besides standing on its own as a delicious and varied drink deserving of attentive tasting, one of beer's best areas to shine and prove its worth is at the table. Chocolate, though, is a tricky dance partner. Its physical characteristics lead to it taking its time to reveal its secrets, you can plow through a meal of German sauerbraten with a hearty, malty Doppelbach and hardly give the pairing a second thought, though your senses will enjoy the combination. But pairing chocolate and beer requires a different approach. When you're joining beer and chocolate, you aren't pairing a meal. You're pairing a moment, an individual flavor moment. I'll tell you what, let's jump ahead and talk about the physical process of pairing these two artisan foods looking at some of the special considerations that will allow the right beer to unlock the right chocolate's hidden secrets. And then we'll backtrack and talk about some of the guidelines for selecting beers and chocolates to pair together. Normally, when I'm leading a beer and food pairing, I encourage people to taste their beer first before taking a bite of their food. Attendees are likely to be less familiar with a particular beer than they are with the flavors of a given dish, which makes beer the wild card in the pairing. I want them to appreciate the beer on its own terms before throwing it into combat with a spicy curry or rich carrot cake. The physical properties of chocolate, however, make this an unwise decision here. Well-made chocolate generally needs a pretty high temperature to melt, usually just a few degrees below our body temperature. The only fat used for chocolate is cacao butter, which comes from the cacao pot itself. This butter is composed of several organic compounds that all liquefy at different temperatures, and temperature stability is achieved in the finished chocolate through a process called tempering, in which the chocolate is melted and hardened repeatedly. This has the curious effect of not only creating a smoother texture, but yielding a higher melting point for the finished bar. The professional chocolate school École Chocolat, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, has this great explanation of what tempering achieves in a blog post on their website. It says, Tempering is like organizing individual dancers at a party into a conga line. For chocolate, Temperature and motion are the party organizers that bring all the individual dancing crystals of fatty acids together in long lines and, in the process, create a stable crystallization throughout the chocolate mass. What all this means is that good chocolate doesn't melt in your hands like that cheap candy bar you had as a kid, and that creates a bit of a problem for us, because beer is best enjoyed at a temperature well below this melting point. If you want to get much flavor out of your chocolate, it needs to melt in your mouth. Now, beer should be served a little warmer than you'll see advertised by your local sports bar. 
Beer gets served ice cold partly because of restrictions of draft systems and the temperature-based solubility of carbon dioxide. It's boring. It doesn't matter. But also because mass-market American light lagers really aren't intended to be tasted at all. They're supposed to be bland, crisp, and refreshing, so the colder, the better. To really taste good beer, it should be allowed to warm just a bit, but even at 45 to 55 degrees, it's way too cold for chocolate. So what are our Romeo and Juliet to do? Well, first off, this is a great time to talk about aroma and the importance of smelling before we taste. There will be future episodes devoted to the importance of our individual senses during the tasting process, especially our sense of smell. But in very quick summary, most of what we perceive as flavor is coming from our noses, not our mouths. When a food or drink enters our mouth, aroma molecules travel through our retronasal passageway in the back of our throat to our olfactory bulb to be processed and identified in the brain. And then our brain curiously sends signals back to our mouths to make us believe we're tasting those things. We're still not really sure why. In reality, we only perceive five basic tastes on our taste buds. Sweet, salty, sour, bitter, and savory or umami. Those tastes combine with thousands of potential aromas in foods or drinks to create flavor. When it comes to sensory appreciation, our noses are where it's at, and by engaging them from the very beginning, we not only help our brains begin to color a picture of flavor, but we also add one more avenue through which to experience pleasure with our food and drink. So do that wine snob thing and stick your nose into the beer glass. Use a glass shape that will funnel aroma to your nose. A partially filled snifter, tulip, or wine glass will work. And also bring your chocolate to your nose to smell it. You can rub it lightly to warm it and break it to expose a fresh surface. Take notes. Then it's time to bring both dance partners to the floor to finally touch. Rather than tasting the beer first, like I would normally encourage during a beer and food pairing, we're going to give the chocolate center stage. Put a small piece of chocolate in your mouth and let it melt for a while, 30 seconds at least, but probably longer. You can move it over the surfaces of your tongue, lightly break it up with your teeth, but you need to give it time to really melt before moving on. As it melts, new aromas will emerge, and if you pay attention, images might spring to mind. Memories, places you know intimately, sometimes places you've never been at all but only dreamed of, the full panoply of flavors that create the tiny world of each individual chocolate. Once that world is fully real on your tongue, you're going to introduce it to beer. Take a very small sip. No gulping here, just an introduction of flavor. Let that tiny flood run over your tongue and follow its riverine course through that world the chocolate just created. It might take a bit of practice to find the right amount to help these partners sway together, rather than one overshadowing the other. And you might even find it's best to wait till the chocolate has left your mouth, but the ghost of its flavor is still vivid before you sip. Some flavors will lean into each other, some will tug against each other, some will come together to create something wholly new. 
you can see why all of this requires slowing down and enforces a more contemplative pace. I find it can help to set the scene a bit. We talked about glassware, but using an attractive serving plate for the chocolate can be nice too, and I pretty much always want good music on. Music, lighting, setting, that's all up to you, but the more you lean into this indulgent experience, the more your brain and your senses will thank you. We'll be right back. Hey everyone, getting a Cicerone certification is an amazing way to raise your beer knowledge and can be a game changer for your beer career. But how are you supposed to find the time to prep and how are you supposed to know exactly what to study? Don't sweat because the Beer Scholar has you covered. Beer Scholar is a sponsor of Bean to Barstool, but I can tell you from personal experience years before I was doing this podcast how helpful the Beer Scholar study guides are. They offer efficient online courses for levels one and two that cover everything you need to know, tips and tricks for how to pass the exams, and include live weekly Zooms to taste and discuss classic beer styles together. They even have a new coaching program for the level three advanced Cicerone exam. I used the Beer Scholar Study Guide to pass my Level 2 exam many years ago. I wish the Level 3 had been around when I took that exam. I had to do it on my own. Wish their study guides had been available for that at the time. The vast majority of certified Cicerones in the world today have used Beer Scholar to help achieve the goal of passing that exam. If you are ready to take your beer career to the next level, visit thebeerscholar.com and check out their online courses. So with that process in mind, let's talk about choosing beer and chocolate to pair. There are well over a hundred recognized beer styles with variations within those, hybrids between them, and an astonishing number of beers that throw the style book out the window and do something completely unique. In chocolate, you have several fundamental types of chocolate, dozens of growing regions, countless individual farms with their own terroir, and more creative flavor additions than I can possibly keep up with. The possible combinations are limitless. When you're looking at any food and drink pairing, the first thing we usually consider is intensity. We want the food and drink to be roughly equal in intensity so one doesn't overpower the other. Each food and drink will have multiple factors determining its intensity, and one of the most important tasks in planning a pairing normally is recognizing and matching these factors. What's really fun about pairing beer and chocolate, though, is that the small tastes you'll be taking and the slow process you'll be using, described earlier, pretty much eliminates the need to worry about this and just lets you focus on flavor interactions. Any issues of intensity you run into can be alleviated by adjusting the amount of beer you take in with each sip. There are a host of specific beer and food interactions we talk about in pairing. Words like cutting, complementing, contrasting, accentuating, canceling, clashing, and softening. They all have different meanings, and if you want to, you can chase your own tail around the room worrying about them all when planning a pairing. They vary in importance and impact, and they're the basic tools professionals use when constructing a meal pairing. 
With beer and chocolate specifically, though, you can push most of them aside and just focus on playing with flavors. That's the fun part anyway. One of those interactions does bear mention here. The most common beginner's mistake with beer pairing is getting too matchy-matchy. A lot of people will assume a beer and a food that share an ingredient or flavor will be awesome together, so they'll pair a blueberry donut with a blueberry wheat beer. In reality, though, those flavors end up occupying the same space, and the overall impression of that flavor gets flattened and washed out. Let's think about it visually. Imagine there's a bright pink statue in the room where you're sitting of, oh, let's say David Bowie, and you have a pair of sunglasses with bright pink lenses. The instinct might be to think that when you put those sunglasses on, the statue will appear even more pink than before. In reality, though, the pink lenses will wash the color of the statue right out, and it will appear dull and colorless. That's what can happen when a food and a drink share a major flavor or ingredient. Because of the more sequential process we take with beer and chocolate, though, there's not as much of a risk of that. So it can be fun to try chocolate and beer with shared flavors side by side to see two different interpretations of a flavor or an ingredient. You'll have to experiment to see if you get bright or bland results. Because you're taking small samples, the consequences of failure with pairing beer and chocolate are low. If something doesn't work, make a note and move on. Having multiple chocolates and beers on hand can allow for a more free-form experimentation, because sometimes these discoveries happen by accident as much as by careful planning. So let's talk about specific beer styles and chocolate varieties. When you find a broad, summary beer pairing article on a website, they tend to cast extremely wide nets. So a single beer style will be assigned to an entire food type, like barbecue or Mexican. They're playing averages here, picking a beer that will work the highest percentage of the time with the varied dishes within that group. If these articles mention chocolate at all, I can guarantee they'll recommend a porter or stout. And there's a good reason for that. So, beers are brewed with malt, which is barley that has been stimulated to germinate, and the germination process activates enzymes that will later convert the grain starch into fermentable sugar. After those enzymes are activated, the maltster dries out the malt to halt the process until the brewer is ready to brew a beer. That drying process is when the colors and flavors of different malts are developed, and some of those malts will be dried in a drum roaster. A drum roaster is a metal drum that rotates while being exposed to high heat. The malt gets roasted very dark without being burned, much the same way coffee or cocoa beans are roasted. Porters and stouts are dark styles that are brewed with a significant percentage of roasted malts. These malts are what give porter and stout styles their dark color, and they produce flavors of other roasted foods like chocolate, coffee, burnt caramel, or others. And those flavors obviously work well with most bean-to-bar chocolate. If you have nothing else on hand and you want a perfectly adequate chocolate pairing, most porters and stouts will work satisfyingly. They might not be the single best possible pairing, 
but they're good utility options for when you don't want to get too specific. Not every pairing has to be mind-blowing. As Voltaire said, the best is the enemy of the good. Sometimes we're so focused on something being perfect that we dismiss things that are more unassumingly pleasing. I recently paired New Belgium Triple with 2020 Chocolates Chicha y Canela Bar. Triple is a Belgian Abbey style brewed with expressive yeast that leaves flavors of pear, banana, and clove in the finished beer, but it's less zany than that sounds. It's a stately beer at a healthy 9% ABV, but its brewing method leaves it light on its feet, like a muscular but graceful modern dancer. The chocolate bar is based on a drink popular in Venezuela, made with rice and cinnamon. When I tasted the bar, it reminded me more than anything of Cinnamon Toast Crunch cereal. It was a fun recognition and a fairly simple nostalgic pleasure. Together, the cinnamon of the bar layered nicely with the clove spice of the beer. The earthy cacao dusted the banana notes with a pleasing musty funk, and there was an underlying impression of spiced pear. It was good. It wasn't the pairing I would give to the guy sitting at the table with a Change My Mind poster to convince him to pair beer and chocolate. I didn't hear angels singing when I tasted them together. But the gentle, nostalgic chocolate helped this regal beer relax its shoulders a bit, and the whole thing was comforting and interesting. But what if you want to hear those celestial voices? Here are a few pairings to cue up the heavenly choir. Belgian Double is a darker cousin of the Belgian Triple I just mentioned, at a slightly lower but still formidable strength. And it has flavors of dark or dried fruit, subtle spice, and occasional notes of caramel or even sweet tobacco. It's indulgent but refined, and some of the best examples in the world are brewed at Trappist monasteries like Chimay or Akel in Belgium or La Trappe in the Netherlands. Excellent secular examples exist as well, like Marad Seuss or St. Bernardus in Belgium or Omegang or Taxman in the United States. Pair one of these beers with a silky smooth dark milk chocolate. It's here I must lament the demise of Arete, because their Guatemala Lachua 58% dark milk was one of my favorites, but there are certainly others. Fruition Marignan Canyon dark milk is an excellent option. The caramel notes in both will call to each other, while the dark and dried fruit and subtle spice in the Abbey Ale will coax the fruity and earthy nuances of the cacao out into the light. And the textures together, well, they're so velvety soft and smooth, it's hard to tell where one stops and the other begins. When I gave this pairing to my wife a few days ago, before recording this, I jokingly asked if the angels were singing. She replied, they would have been if their toes weren't curling. Ahem. So. Seventh Sun Brewing Kahwa is a smooth-bodied imperial stout from Columbus, Ohio, brewed with Mission coffee beans, cardamom, cloves, cinnamon, and ginger. The spice profile is robust, but not hot or overwhelming, and evokes the flavors of Turkish or other Middle Eastern coffee drinks. I recently paired this with a maple and vanilla bar from Valparaiso, Indiana's Violet Sky Chocolate, a 77% dark chocolate bar made with Guatemalan cacao sourced through Uncommon Cacao. 
This chocolate is warm but quite acidic and evokes classic s'mores while the earthy acidity brings to mind morning sunlight on firewood. The pairing with this spiced coffee stout was indulgent, complex, and delightful. The coffee and maple were familiar breakfast mates, and the pairing showcased s'mores with charred marshmallows, foresty, earthy spice notes, and morning coffee around the campfire. This particular spiced coffee stout will be tough to get if you aren't in Ohio when it's available, but there are tons of coffee stouts out there, something we'll talk about in another episode soon. They won't all have this complex spice profile, but the coffee flavors will be there and will still work very well. On one of the first warm days of spring this year, when nature felt like it was stretching its legs after a long nap and our crabapple and redbud trees were blooming out into the sunshine in our backyard, we opened Warped Wing's 2018 Pirogue aged in Cabernet barrels. Warped Wing is one of our local breweries in Dayton, Ohio, and we're actually the brewery I wrote my very first professional beer article about years ago. Pirogue is another Belgian triple, but is curiously brewed with a judicious use of dark character malts to give it the slightest impression of roast beneath its fermentation profile. And it's also brewed with a subtle touch of coffee from a local roaster. The timing of this tasting was appropriate because the fermentation and barrel character lent a definite orchardy aroma and flavor to this two-year-old bottle, with notes of overripe orchard fruit, a bit of earthiness, and some dry oak peeking through over time. I don't think most folks tasting this blind would guess black triple as the base, or even necessarily pick out the coffee. It was all quiet rumors of flavor that built an intriguing whole. I tried pairing it with a couple chocolate bars that included coffee, hoping to gently tug forward the buried coffee notes in the beer, but either that matchy-matchy principle mentioned earlier masked it, or it just wasn't there for the tugging. I finally settled on Berries and Bubbly from Ritual Chocolate in Utah, a bar made with Madagascar beans soaked in champagne with dried raspberries, and it provided the gentle, nuanced union this beer needed. The berries, champagne, and acidity from the Madagascar chocolate brought out some of the cab notes in the beer, while the earthy chocolate brought the oak forward and added complexity to the very subtle darker malts in the beer and the lightly spicy fermentation profile. It's odd to think of a beer north of 9% alcohol needing delicate flavors in a pairing, but this one needed a graceful dance partner rather than a muscular wrestling opponent. The last pairing I'll share involves a dance between two ghosts. I guess that's a bit dramatic. All I mean is the specific partners are not currently in production, but could be substituted fairly easily without much magic being lost. Two autumns back, Brewery Amagang in central New York State partnered with Beekman 1802, a farm and lifestyle brand nearby, to release Beekman 1802 Goat Milk Stout. The stout had aromas of milk chocolate and coffee with cream, and an underlying warmth that brought to mind flannel and hay. There was a gentle sweetness and a whisper of warm, comforting funk. I paired the bar at the height of autumn with The Salty Cow from Patrick, a 58% dark milk bar with crunchy sea salt. 
It was a luxuriously smooth bar with its own subtle, earthy funk from the salt. Together, they made their own Pinterest board of cozy, rustic refinement and would have made a sublime pairing for the world's most contemplative fall hayride. You won't easily find another goat milk stout, but standard milk stouts are easy to find, and there are other salted bars. I'll always remember this specific union, but I'll keep chasing a substitute until Omegang and Patrick bring these back. I've only given a few examples here, and I realize now the beer examples skewed very Belgian. As I mentioned earlier, there are more beer styles, sub-styles, hybrid styles, and beers that ignore styles altogether than you can imagine, and we'll talk plenty more about pairing with others in the future. One final note is on single-origin bars, the bread and butter of bean-to-bar chocolate. You might notice all my examples here were inclusion bars, meaning they all had additional flavor ingredients added. That's definitely not because single-origin bars don't pair well. They can pair beautifully. But the differences of terroir and how an individual chocolate maker works with those beans means the flavors can vary widely, and setting down pairing rules around specific origins can be a bit of a fool's errand. No type of chocolate requires more experimentation and practice to pair with beer than single-origin bars, and that's part of why they're so fun, but also why I'm not pitching suggestions here at the beginning. Working with recognizable flavor ingredients can help you get your footing and find easier success, and you can experiment with single-origin pairings as you go and find your own favorites. We'll talk about this more soon. There are more fantastic pairings I could recommend than we have time for, and even more that I haven't even discovered yet. The variety within beer and chocolate means there will always be more of these pairings to uncover. Whether you hear the heavenly host or just feel the comfort of childhood nostalgia, beer and chocolate have endless gifts to offer together. some bean-to-bar chocolate and some craft beer, or dig into your stash of both, put on some good music, and start playing with these flavors. Take your time, open your mind, and get as whimsical as you need to describe what you're tasting and smelling, feeling, and experiencing. Let me know what you find. In the next episode, we'll talk about how one ingredient, or more accurately, one flavor influence, is used to create unexpected but fascinating flavors in both beer and chocolate. The music for this episode was performed by my friend Anna P.S. You can find out more about her in the show notes or at her website, annapsmusic.com. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Bean to Barstool. Bar Stool.